So today we come to the last of our four-part series where we've been focused on the creation account from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Week 1, we looked at the way God created the earth to be a place that human beings could call home. Uh, Week 2, we saw how God created humankind in his image and we discovered that bearing God's image is in fact the very thing that makes us human. Uh, Last week, we saw the importance of rest, and particularly our need to rest in Christ as the antidote to restlessness. And this week we come to the second creation account in Genesis, and and we'll see how it points to three crucial relationships, three interwoven relationships that we must maintain if we are to fulfill the purpose of our existence. So Genesis 1 and 2 give us two different but complementary accounts of creation. Now, if you have friends who are atheists and who like to challenge you on the validity of the Bible, the chances are they will keep returning uh, to these chapters from Genesis. Uh, But to make sense of them, we need to understand what they are and what they are not. Genesis 1 and 2 are not a scientific textbook. That is not their genre. That's not the way they've been designed to be read. Uh, These chapters do not attempt to answer the when and how questions of creation. The truth that God expresses through these chapters is that God has created everything. God has created the cosmos from nothing. And that God has created human beings. He's created us with a purpose. And that purpose can be clearly discerned in these chapters. In other words, Genesis 1 and 2 answer the who and why questions of creation. Who created the cosmos and why? Who created humanity and why? To get caught up trying to reconcile these accounts with scientific discovery is actually It's a red herring. It misses the point of them altogether. God speaks to us through Genesis. and Indeed, God speaks to us through the whole of the Bible. And what God is saying is too important to miss. So we must focus on what these chapters actually tell us about God, about creation, and about ourselves. So the second chapter of Genesis reveals that we have been created for three crucial and interwoven relationships, uh, without which we cannot be fully human, without which we cannot be all that God intended us to be. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that we've been created for relationship. Our deepest longings and our inner yearnings point us to this fact. I mean, there are times when we all crave a bit of solitude, but I don't think any of us would wish to be permanently alone with only ourselves to company. Uh, When we hear about hermits and recluses, we tend to regard their behavior as being uh, a bit odd and unnatural. And it is because it goes against the grain of who we've been created to be. Some of us are introverts and we need a bit of time to ourselves to recharge. But that's a far cry from having no contact with anyone ever. It actually doesn't take us very long to feel lonely. You may have seen the Tom Hanks film, Castaway, where he's marooned on a desert island. And much of the film is about his struggle with loneliness. Rather bizarrely, he befriends a plastic ball, which he names Wilson. 
but the whole point of the film is to emphasize our longing for relationship. Human beings have been created for relationship. And Genesis 2 draws our attention to three relationships that humanity must get right in order to thrive. Our relationship with God, our relationship to creation, and our relationship to one another. Of course, we know that our relationship with God has been fractured, and that means that all three of these relationships are out of whack. Genesis 2 reveals how God intended these relationships to be before sin entered the world and spoiled them. So let's look at each of these relationships in turn. So firstly, our relationship with God. We have been created for a relationship with God, and we cannot find meaning, fulfillment, or purpose at a distance from God. Many today suppose that our world is the result of a meaningless accident, that we are the result of a random explosion. But does anything well-ordered come from an accident or an explosion? Explosions don't bring form to things. They call things to lose their form. A friend of mine described an incident that his troop responded to when he was serving as a soldier in Northern Ireland. There'd been an, an explosion in a busy high street. And when my friend arrived on the scene, he was horrified uh, by what he saw. There were arms and legs and heads and bits of torso scattered all over the place. And as he surveyed the chaos, the rubble and the uh, charred uh, body parts, he, he just thought, oh, this is awful. This is the most awful thing. Until he got a bit closer and he realized that what had happened is a department store had blown up. And the shop window mannequins had been blasted all over the place. And these are the body parts that he was looking at. So that came as a great relief. There were no casualties. Uh, But the point is that uh, explosions bring chaos, not order. Our existence is no accident. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been made in God's image. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what that means. Basically, uh, we, we, we have this unique and privileged position of representing creation to God and representing God to creation. So we reflect creation's praises to God and we set forth the reality of God to the whole of creation. Uh, but of course, in order to do that, we need to be in constant relationship with God. Genesis 2 verse 7 says this. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. In other words, we've been created from the same substance as the rest of creation. I don't think anyone would deny that. After all, we're biodegradable, aren't we? Uh, But even though we've been made from the same substance as, say, the animals, we are not animals because we bear God's image. And so no human being should be treated like an animal, nor should any human being behave like one. So we are not an accident, and we are not merely highly developed animals. We have been made in God's image. But we are not God. We are fragile, and therefore we are dependent on God. It's not a relationship of interdependence. God doesn't rely on us for anything. We are completely dependent on God. 
Verse 7 continues, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We are dependent on God for life itself, and especially our human image-bearing life. God sustains us. God sustains the whole of creation. Now, I want us to entertain an impossibility for a moment. Uh, If, and this is totally impossible, but if God ceased to exist, we don't imagine, do we, that the universe would just continue. If God ceased to exist, the universe would cease to exist. We would cease to exist. But God is eternal. God cannot come to an end. So what if, and again, this is not a real possibility, but what if God no longer willed our existence? Well, it's very simple. We would cease to exist. The whole of creation is utterly dependent on God. And whether we realize it or not, we are dependent on God even for each breath that we take. Acts 17 says this. It says, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then it continues, for in him we live and move and have our being. We exist. We breathe. Because God wills it. And and that means that God has a plan and a purpose for our being here. Which brings us to the second of the three relationships for which we've been made. So we've been made uh, for a relationship with God. God gives us life and we give God praise. But we're also made to relate in a very particular way to creation. So what about relationship with creation? Well, this is where the opinions of Christians can become somewhat polarized. So on one hand, uh, there are those who tend to belittle the importance of our relationship to creation. They say, ah, what does it matter what happens to creation? God's going to sort it all out in the end anyway. What really matters is that people are being saved. And then on the other end of the scale, there, there are Christians who focus so much on green issues that they don't have time or they forget to uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus in order that people might be saved. Now, these are caricatures, but these uh, views or variations of them do exist within the church. You'll come across them from time to time. So what does Genesis 2 tell us about our relationship to creation? Well, firstly, verse 9 says this, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And this supports uh, what we've already read in Genesis 1.29. It says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Now, some of us uh, might not like to hear this, uh, but it does rather sound like God's original intent was for us to be vegetarian. After all, there's no mention of meat-eating until human beings had rebelled against God. Uh, Now, we know from other passages in the Old and New Testament that God has made provision for us to eat meat. So it's not a sin to eat meat, but it does look like this wasn't originally what God had in mind. The fact that we eat meat is evidence that something has gone badly wrong. And again, some of you might find this rather distressing, uh, but I think we can infer from this that when creation is put right, human beings will no longer eat meat. Uh, For me, I take consolation in the fact that nut roast will taste much better in heaven. (laughs) It has to. 
<laughs> but that's a bit of a diversion because I think the verse that most clearly points to our relationship to creation is verse 15, which said, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. God has given us work, and it has to do with caring for creation. And this ties in with Genesis 1.26, which said that God created us to rule over the natural world. But the point is that we should rule over creation in the way that God would rule over it, because we are representing God. God has delegated the care of creation to us. Now, our role as God's image bearers is to care for creation on God's behalf because the, the world is not ours. We're just looking after it. That's what it means to be a steward, to look after something that isn't rightfully ours. It belongs to something else, but we're, we're taking care of it. So our role is to look after creation. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The other week, Scott used the analogy of being a guest in someone else's home. When you're house-sitting for someone... You don't trash their home and say, oh, it's okay, they'll sort it out when they get back. I hope not. (laughs) I wonder whether you've ever accidentally broken something in somebody else's home. It's so much worse than breaking something in your own home, isn't it? I once watched Tissa drop a glass through a, a, a very ornate and beautiful, very expensive glass coffee table. She dropped her glass on it from a bit of a height and it just went straight through, shattered into about a million pieces. It was mortifying for Tissa, mildly amusing for me, but, <laughs> but I have to admit I'm generally much more, much more clumsy than Tissa. Uh, but it's just the most awful feeling to break something in somebody else's home, isn't it? And yet humanity continues to willfully damage creation. Our planet is suffering the consequences of human greed, waste, and carelessness. According to the World Wildlife Fund, 18.7 million acres of rainforest are lost each year. That's an area the uh, size of a small country. By 2050, the plastic in our oceans is set to outweigh fish. There are now more than 16,000 species threatened with extinction. And scientists agree that humans cause climate change, which has a devastating effect on our planet, its ecosystems, and habitats. Surely, as Christians, if we recognize that God has given us the awesome responsibility of caring for this planet, we should take this seriously. Caring for creation on God's behalf is a major part of what it means to be human, to be made in God's image, to represent God in the world. Surely, we have to take that seriously. And there are lots of relatively simple things that we can do uh, so we can at least reduce the impact that we're having. For example, making a conscious effort to use less single-use plastics. I mean, if you've got a choice between tomatoes that are wrapped in cellophane and sitting in a polystyrene dish or ones that are just loose on the shelf, it's a no-brainer. Or things like eating less meat, moderating, being careful with our use of electricity, fuel, and water. Very simple things. You might say, oh, well, what difference will it make? Well, if it's just one or two families doing it, very little difference at all. But collectively, it can make a huge difference. Now, 
don't know about you, but I can't stand seeing rubbish all over the place. Does that bug you, seeing rubbish all over the place? It really gets to me. So every now and again, I'll take a bin bag, I'll go around the lake, and I'll clean up the rubbish. And I'm doing this the other day, and I'm kind of uh, in the middle of a, uh, a hedge trying to, trying to get a Coke can or something, and there was an old man walking his dog, and they both stopped, and they looked at me, and the old man said, you won't win, and, and I felt a bit silly. And I couldn't think of anything clever to say. When he'd gone, I could think of loads of clever things to say. But (laughs) at the time, I said, no, but we ought to try. And I think that's right. We ought to try. I mean, we don't look around the world and say, well, the world is sinful. Let's just go along with it. We're called to go against the grain of the world. We're called to bear God's image as accurately as possible. We're called to be good stewards of creation. I think we need to take that seriously. So we've looked at our relationship with God. We've looked at our relationship to creation. Let's look briefly at our relationship with one another. So reading from verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God brings all the creatures to the man so that the man can name them. Notice, though, in Genesis 1, it is God who names things. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. It's God that names things. So we can see that God not only delegates this task of naming the creatures to Adam, which incidentally is the foundation of our biological science, isn't it? Naming and categorizing things. God not only delegates this task to the man, but he helps him with it by bringing the creatures to him. And what this speaks to us of is the partnership and the cooperation that is meant to exist between humanity and God. But on his own, Adam is incomplete and unable to fulfill the task of stewarding creation. He needs a helper, not just in the individual sense, but so that humanity can be fruitful and increase in number. In Genesis 1, humanity is commanded to exercise godly dominion over creation. But for that to happen, it's going to take more than just one couple, isn't it? Adam needs a partner so that they can procreate. Uh, That's not a very uh, romantic way of looking at it. Um, If you want uh, something a bit more romantic, you can go to the Song of Songs. It's a book in the Bible all about romantic love. This, I'm afraid, is rather more practical. So we're told that the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he used the rib to make the woman. And then he brought the woman to the man. Now, I want us to remember that Genesis was written within the context of a deeply patriarchal society. To put it bluntly, men were in charge. And when we bear this in mind, it can help us to see just how amazing these verses are, even though they come out of that context. So to start with, the word helper doesn't denigrate women. Elsewhere in the Bible, that exact same word is used to describe God. But then you have the fact that the woman is taken from the man's rib. And this is deeply symbolic. It shows that the woman is not meant to walk behind the man in submission, nor is she meant to walk in front of the man in domination. She's meant to walk beside the man in equal partnership. 
Neither of the creation accounts in Genesis would lead us to be, believe that any human being is meant to exercise authority over another. I mean, it's very clear in, in Genesis that human beings are meant to exercise authority over the, the fish and the birds and the animals and creation itself. But nowhere does it say anything about human beings having authority over one another. That only comes in after human beings have fallen into sin. It only comes in after everything has gone pear-shaped. It's gone badly wrong. Uh, one of the lines from Bob Dylan's song, The Gates of Eden. I'm not going to try and do it Bob Dylan style. But it goes, there are no kings inside the gates of Eden. And it's true, isn't it? All we see in creation is that male and female are joint image bearers. They are to reflect God's image together. And it's this relationship between male and female, which is the foundation of all human society. We wouldn't be here without it. We can only reflect God's image when we're in relationship to one another. We can only reflect God's image when there is male and female. That's why uh, we have the body of Christ and not just lots of individual Christians. And of course, the body of Christ is made up of male and female. So how do these three relationships interconnect? Our relationship with God, our relationship to creation, and our relationship with one another. Well, our life and our purpose, our life and our purpose emanates from God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And our God-given purpose involves a very specific relationship to creation. That is, we are to exercise God's authority over creation. We are to care for creation on God's behalf. That is what it means, or at least a large part of what it means to be an image bearer. But we can only bear God's image in relationship because it is male and female together that make up the image of God. Moreover, without male and female, we cannot be fruitful and multiply. And if we cannot do that, then we cannot exercise dominion over creation. And in addition to all of that, our human relationships, whether that's parental or marital or friendships or whatever, those relationships cannot reach their full potential without Jesus at the center of them. So we are made to be relational. And the relationships for which we are made are interconnected. They are uh, inextricably linked, woven together. But we can't fail to realize that all three of those relationships are out of whack, both uh, for us as individuals and for humanity collectively. Uh, our relationships with God and creation and with one another, those relationships are fractured. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has opened the way for those relationships to be restored and restored permanently. As a church, we are called to signpost that. We're called to live in right relationship to God, in right relationship to creation, and in right relationship to one another. We're not to ignore God and try to live our lives independently from God. We're not to abuse creation. And we are not to seek to dominate one another. And yet these 
are the three things that humanity is inclined to do. Well, as a church, we need to be different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we discover in the very first book of the Bible, the very first part of that book. We discover our identity, our meaning, our purpose. And I pray, Father, that uh, for all of us, we'll see even more clearly how important relationships are. Firstly, our relationship with you. We know that we have to get that right, otherwise all the other relationships are affected. Help us, Lord, to to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to you, to get to know you, to love you with our whole hearts, and to live in right relationship with you and with creation and with one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.